Welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. We're dealing with Understanding This Gospel Series 2. And this will be part five. So just in case you're wondering what the application of these teachings are, then, then the teachings are not for you. Because if you understand this and you're receiving it, then you know that it actually is not just for application, it is your application. To leave L-I-V-E, the kingdom on the earth, is what we're saved for. We're not saved to prepare us for heaven. And that's the thrust of this series, series two. The emphasis of the believer is not heaven. That's the essence, that's the thrust of series two, understanding this gospel. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is not about heaven. It's about heaven on earth in the believer for the believer to God's glory. That's the entire series. That's the entire gospel. I said something, was it last week or two weeks earlier, that one of the devil's worst slate of hands or slate of hands or distractions is to get you concerned about what's not your business so that he occupies what is your business. Gets us distracted with making heaven, running it as a race. Oh, this heaven is a personal race. Double-sided wrong. Because it's not a race and it's not personal. We're not called to run a race to heaven. The only time the word race is mentioned in scripture, Paul refers, uses it to refer to ministry, not salvation. Ministry. He referred to ministry. So that I don't become a castaway having run this race. I run to attain the prize of the higher calling, which is in Christ Jesus. So I was not referring to salvation. The person who told you salvation by grace through faith apart from works could not be the same person telling you he's running a race to earn salvation as a prize. Cannot be the same person. So he's referring to ministry. He says, lest I, having preached to others, become a castaway. Not lose my salvation, but stand there and have nothing to show for the same gospel I preached to people that got them into reward. Does that make sense? I teach the gospel to someone and they get, when he comes and his revelation says, I come quickly and my reward is with me. To give unto everyone according to how he has worked. To give. To give, not to judge or to condemn. So the believer is standing before the throne of God in judgment for works. To obtain reward. The believer will never be judged for condemnation in righteousness. I can't stand before God and then he wants to judge me for sin that he judged Jesus for. What are you judging? You judged, you judged already. For the Lord has laid upon him the iniquities of us all has laid upon him. So God will not ask me about an iniquity he laid on Christ. 
It's important to understand these things. Like I said, these are the workings of our salvation. Why, why, why is he asked, where shall I find the report to give him from? That's what Jesus took. So when we stand before him, we will give account for works done in righteousness. Otherwise known as ministry or service for which there shall be reward. And the reward is not a house. Whatever the reward is, we shall find out. When we also find out how we shall look like when we see him. According to 1 John 3. Amen? So that's what Paul refers to when he talks about running the race. The same thing that Jesus says when he means when he says that he that puts his hand to the plow and looks back. It was not referring to salvation. It was referring to service. Latrio, service. Ministry. Amen? So the race that Paul refers to is the race for ministry service. Which is what everybody's called into. Just in case you think I am, I'm not called. When you say I'm not called, what you have said is I'm not saved. So every time a Christian says, I am not called, what they are saying is, I'm a Christian. I'm not saved. And that is very, very possible. We have millions, hundreds of millions of unsaved Christians. But it's on account of God's call that you are saved. Does that make sense? Salvation is a result, it's as a result of what is known as the gospel call in soteriology. The gospel call. Does that make sense? Romans 8 and 29. Romans 8 and 29. New King James says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, the son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, verse 30, this he also called. You see that? And it's those that he called that he justified. So if you say you are not called, it means you are not justified, sir. <laughs> That's what it means. Justification is the exclusive preserve of the called. Those he for new, he predestined to be conformed. Don't, stop, don't ever stop at predestined. He predestined to be conformed. In other words, those that he foreknew, he determined that their destiny would be to, be to be like Jesus, to become yes, Jesus. Yes, don't stop at he predestined. What does that mean? Those that he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the son that he may be the firstborn of many brethren. So your, your destiny was predetermined that you will end up Christ. Because when you say predestined, it leaves it open up, it opens it up to ambiguity. Your destiny can become anything. That's why we start praying for God to change our destiny. <laughs> start praying for God to change our destiny. To rewrite your destiny. He wrote it before you came into the earth. And your destiny was that you shall be conformed to the image of the son. He predestined it. So the reason why we pray certain silly prayers is because we are looking for things in God outside Christ. And it's one of the silliest and saddest things for a believer to be doing. 
to be looking for God outside Christ. What do you hope to find? I swung by Facebook and I put a heading there in capital letters. God is not indescribable. Capital letters. God is not indescribable. Are you now saying you are, you know more than this songwriter or more than this pastor? More than, excuse me, I'm sorry, but that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. God is not indescribable. He is the description of God. So I put up John 1.18. John 1.18. This is Jesus speaking. Who is speaking? John rather speaking. John the Baptist. About Jesus. Go from 17 for context. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, right? 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. Only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he who is the only one that has seen him. At every time. Because no man had seen God at any time. At any time. Not even Moses. Not even Elijah. And this one messes people up a lot. Not even brother Enoch. Walked with God and he died sir. Because he said there's a problem. If Enoch went to heaven without dying. Jesus resurrected and glorified. Cannot claim to be the firstborn. In fact, Jesus is inferior in that he had to die a natural death to enter immortality when somebody could be here in the body of flesh, in the body of sin, in the body of the first Adam. No matter your grace and righteousness, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So there's a fundamental problem if somebody who walked, who was, whose son was the first Adam. Because nobody could be righteous by the first Adam. No matter how clean. And somebody can be in the body of the first Adam. And enter into immortality. Graduate into immortality. Without dying and being born again. Then that person has a superior priesthood. Than that of Jesus. It is on the strength of existing truth. That you handle the gray areas. Do you understand? Jesus is not trying to be correct against Elijah. Are you following me? Jesus is not trying to be correct against Moses in that we're using Moses' experience to validate Jesus' truth. No, no, no. We look at Moses' experience in the light of the truth of Jesus. We look at Elijah's experience in the light of the revelation of Jesus. We look at Enoch's experience in the light of Jesus. Their experiences cannot invalidate the truth of Jesus as laid down by Jesus. So he comes in the same book of John and he begins to say, I think chapter 6 and so, that no one has ascended into heaven except the son of man who came from heaven. He says no one has ascended into heaven except the son of man who came from heaven. Or save that for the day I will teach the series. Who is this Jesus? 
and explore what he, the, the same way I taught you, you cannot think baptism and ignore the Baptist. The Baptist defines baptism. No ambiguity. In the same way that Jesus defines himself. He knew the law. Everybody was arguing. He came and stood in front of them and he told them, before Abraham was, I am. Now you don't understand why they picked stones to stone him. They picked stones to stone him because they knew the law in Exodus 3 where God told Moses, go and tell Israel, I am. So when Jesus answered them, the same Jews, and said, I am. Do you understand the blasphemy? How dare you say you are when we know one I am? And you're the carpenter's son. That's why they picked stones. Not because he said he was God. No, no, no. They understood who God was. Jesus stood there and said, before Abraham was, I am. As soon as he said, I am, it rang up to Exodus 3. And there are a number of times on record where he stands and keeps saying, I am good shepherd. What David meant by the Lord is my shepherd. I am the door. I am the way. They know the God that made a way in the wilderness. They know the God that parted the Red Sea. On account of I am, whatever you need me to be, I am. Then this man comes and starts to say, I am this. I am that. And every time Jesus said, I am, they could relate to it in the Old Testament. Who is this Jesus? When he comes and says, no one has ascended up to heaven except the Son of Man who came from heaven. Adam did not come from heaven. He was formed from the dust of the earth. He said, this one came from heaven. So when he says, no one has ascended to heaven, it is on the strength, even if he said it 6,000 years later, it's on the strength of his submission that we start to look at everybody else who seems to have a claim to have ascended or come to or from heaven. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not on the strength of Moses who will look at what Jesus did. It's on the strength of Jesus who will consider what Moses said. So if Jesus says no one has ascended to heaven, then everybody else that said heaven, what did they mean? That's how you study the scriptures. You don't go in trying to disprove Jesus. You go in start trying to scrutinize experiences on the strength of the revelation of Jesus. Does that make sense? Because it's the central theme of the scriptures. So it says in John 1.18 in the Amplified, no man has ever seen God at any time. The only unique son or the only begotten son who is in the bosom in the intimate presence of the father. He has declared him. Which is to say, he has revealed him and brought him out to where he can be seen. He has interpreted him and has made him known. Then the TPT says, no one has ever before gazed upon the full splendor of God except his uniquely beloved son, who is cherished by the father and held close to his heart. Now that he has come to us, he has unfolded the full explanation of who God truly is. The word for explain or, or reveal is the, is the word exagomai in the Greek from which you get the word exegesis. 
which means to glean out or to bring out something. So the word exagomai is to take out and unfold layer by layer the fullness of something. Yeah? Take out and expose, unfold, layer by layer until everything is out. Does that make sense? Imagine splitting an onion or opening an onion up in the rings without splitting it open until every single one to the very smallest ring is up there and it's open. And you know that there, there were 19 layers that make up this onion. Does that make sense? Exagomai, to bring out everything, layer by layer, until everything out is unfolded and open, enough for you to understand in total. Exagomai, that's what Jesus did and does to God. So if you say God cannot be described, you missed Jesus. Because he describes a God that was hitherto indescribable. So you want to know God, go and study Christ. Listen to him. God himself instructed, hear ye him. I love the NASB. He says, no one has seen God at any time, but God the only son. Listen, religion, when they say, wait, when somebody gets born again for the first time, what, what Bible should he, what book of the Bible should he read first? You say, John, no, sir. You will get lost totally, totally as a new believer starting at John. You will never make sense of it. Because all you see is Sunday school pre-indoctrination. My God said, love the Lord. That's again, it's only the other side. The thief come and for to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm come that name. That's all you will see in John. Of all the gospels, John is the meat of the humanity and the deity of Christ Jesus. It's not for children. You don't get, you don't get born again as they say, come into church and I will give you John. You will not understand it. You're better off reading Revelation and telling you the truth. As a new believer, you are better off enjoying Revelation. Than trying to study John's gospel. Because the, the concepts that it slaps you with. From the very first verse. And the beginning was the word logos. And the word was with God. And the word that was with God. Was God. And you are a new Christian. Are you, are you getting it now? I say, oh, you're new, you just got born again, you're a new believer. Oh, please, start with the book of John. No, sir. No, sir. In the beginning, what's the word? The word was with God. That is implying that this word is apart from God. It's something that is apart from that can be with But this word that was with God was God. It doesn't stop there. It gets worse. The same was in the beginning with God. Same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. It's one statement that is true. Another statement equally true. Without him was nothing made that was made, which is to say that all things were made by him is okay. But you see, all things, even if all things were not made by him, there's a possibility that without him, other entities might have made some things. The fact that 
Yamaha does not produce this keyboard. Does not mean that Roland cannot. There are two keyboards here. There's a Yamaha keyboard that is not a Roland. There's a Roland keyboard that is not a Yamaha. And they are keyboards. Does that make sense? All keyboards were made by Roland. At the time I wrote that, another keyboard can come out after that statement that because it's a keyboard, could not necessarily have come by Roland. Does that make sense? Yamaha can wake up and say, is it not a keyboard? Let's make our own keyboard. Does that make sense? And then Coswell, and Nord, and PV, and Korg make keyboards. Right? All things were made by this word. But just in case you think that stuff could have happened without the word. Without this word, nothing can be made. So if it's not Roland making keyboard, there's nothing called keyboard. Yamaha can come up and make keyboard. <laughs> so that's a true statement. All things were made by him. Full statement, stand alone. Correct. Having said that, without him, nothing could be made that was made. In other words, take out this person from the creation equation, nothing can happen. Nothing can happen. Then he now goes in verse 14 and says, Now that word became flesh. In the beginning was the word that was with God, that was God with which all things were made, without which nothing made could be made. That word became flesh. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word is what came in verse 11 to his own. And they received him not. But to as many, verse 12, as receive him, to them he the word. Is the word that gave power to become sons of God. The word. Before he was called Jesus. Because by verse 11 into verse 12, they have not said Jesus. They have not said Yehoshua. They have not said Messiah. They've said the word, Logos. Give them exousia, authority to become sons, technon, dutios of God. The word had the authority to do that. Then that word took on flesh. That word in verse 1 was God. That word became flesh. And then we could see. We could see. Why could we see? Because something apparently intangible had taken on a form of tangibility enough for us to see. And we beheld his glory. What did the glory look like? Only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. The same sort of similitude of what Nebuchadnezzar said when he looked in the fire. He said, wait, did we not throw three men bound into the fire. How come we see four men lose? I, I, I love the word of God. No rush it. It's so juicy. Picture the nuances. We threw three men bound. We, now we see four men lose. Walking freely in the fire. And the fourth one looks like the son of God. Who showed him? 
Which manual did he read? So the fourth one is as like. It's the way that son of, son, son of God used to look. If I was going to see Son of God, he would be like this. And that's the same language John borrows. Because of the Father. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son. Full of grace, which is truth. That word that became flesh, that word which was with the beginning with God, the word that was God, is the only one that has seen God. And therefore, only the person that has seen God, because that person was God, can describe God. <laughs> Argue with the English all you like. He reads what he reads. <laughs> so when he says no one has ascended to heaven, the one who was in the beginning with God, as God, before he became flesh. Ma, hear ye him. And he said no one has ascended to heaven. That means no one has ascended. Otherwise, there would have been nothing significant about him being taken up before their very eyes on the Mount of Olives. After 40 days. And then the angel said to them, why do you stand here looking men of Galilee? He said, this is Jesus. The same way you see him yes, go. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They were perplexed. And they shouldn't have been perplexed if they were convinced Elijah went up like this. went like this. So, this is a new trick. People have been going up and down <laughs> before you, sir. <laughs> so why do you stand here in bewilderment watching this guy go up? Same way he went up, the same way he's going to come down. Because it was new stuff. It was translation they had not seen before. It wasn't on record before. So he explains and describes the father. So when he comes to speak, we pay attention to what he says. Because he is the voice and message of the Father. You know, you can be the voice delivering a message. <laughs> Make sense? Yeah. Or you can be the voice and the message. Does that make sense? Jesus was the voice but Jesus was the message. Does that make sense? So it's not just what he said. It's who he said it of. Somebody cannot just come and stand and say in John 11, I am. Be careful with John. Come and stand in John 11 and say, I am. That's another one. Resurrection and life. And not I give life. Do you understand it now? The voice and the message. I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, shall live. I am the life. See, you, you question the son of man's power to forgive sins. For you shall call his name Yahoshua, Jesus. It means, it means Yah or Yahweh saves. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
That's what Yehoshua translated. Jesus means Yeshua of God, our salvation. God, not man. You shall name him God, our Savior. For he shall save his people. Not he shall preach the message of salvation. He shall save his people. Who saves people? God. It's God that saves men. It is God. Men cannot save men. In whatever state those men come. Let me behave myself. See, you, don't, you have just wait. You have questions, questions. Just wait. We will teach and get there. For he, you shall name him, God saves. For he shall set his people free from their sins. It's God that saves. What we're struggling with is what Israel struggled with. It's what Israel struggled with. It's what the disciples struggled with. It's like I explained to you, most of them were older than Jesus. Older than Jesus. If there were any, according to Bible history, that would have been around the age of Jesus, it would have been James and John, sons of Zebedee. That's why they were hotheads and their mother too was crazy. Imagine, somebody has 12 disciples, minus the other, the other ones. You now come to Jesus, carry your two sons, holding the left hand and the right hand. Hey, Jesus, half our market. So, this is James and John. You know them now, they left all to follow you. So, <laughs> in this kingdom that's coming, James, on your left. John, on your right. That'd be deal. Imagine being part of the other ten and feeling like you are orphans, like you are motherless babies. No, because you have mother, but she's not definitely not crazy enough to tell Jesus how to run his kingdom. Why wouldn't they be wanting to call thunder up and down on fire? Crazy boys. So Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. Have you seen that Bible before in the book of Luke? Yeah, but when they were both named, Jesus named them sons of thunder. They like to call fire. Everything about them is fire, thunder. Their mother too crazy. And he made his message clear. The gospel of the kingdom. We're in a place where people are advocating very strongly that there are different messages or different gospels. And so today I want to be able to, to or at least I hope that I can bring that multiple threads together so we can see that is the same gospel, same message. So we left off last week, you know, exploring all the events that took place around the death, the burial, and up to the resurrection of Jesus. And even after his resurrection, the things that happened. Jesus appeared to guys, they still went fishing. They were afraid. For fear of the Jews. Then Jesus appeared to them. They were still afraid. Because they heard too many stories about ghosts. I mean you could tell. You could tell. That because they had grown up in a. Or were growing up in a. Greek controlled society. There was no way that they hadn't heard. All kinds of myths. About ghosts and spirits. It's like I told you last week. He appeared to them walking on the water. He said he was a ghost. And not the Holy One. And then he appears to them again in their own room. And they said he was a ghost. So it's interesting how we're not the first to believe more in fables than reality. 
You know, that's how you believe in a spirit so strong. A spirit will show up in your room. Because it's what you fear that amplifies. What you fear? You see a lizard, you swear you saw an alligator. <laughs> you serious? I'm serious. Because it's a level of fear that gives you fever. Fear that grips you and you begin to hallucinate. You see a lizard and you see it stretch. That's what you say, I saw an alligator. It was so big and so long. It had, it had claws. Six wings. Because you have watched How to Train Your Dragon five times. <laughs> Said it was a ghost. He says, touch me. Feel me. I'm here. I'm real. And then he sits and starts to, starts to teach them over a 40-day period. After the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the message starts to take shape. You know, when Jesus resurrected, he was, he was with them for 40 days, right? And I'll come to that in a bit. Teaching. Isn't it interesting that um, this teaching that he taught them over the 40-day period happened before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Because you know, Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost did not happen until he left. It was when he left that he said, tarry in Jerusalem. So it wasn't like he rose on Sunday morning and they received the Holy Ghost on Monday evening. Forty days later. Before they received the feeling. But I've dropped it as a hint many, many, many months ago. I can't remember exactly what teaching. How when Jesus appeared to them in John 20, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. They had not received the Holy Spirit yet. They had not arrived at the infilling or the baptism of the spirit in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, which was the Passover, right? Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Weeks. Do you remember? But he showed up and he said, receive the Holy Ghost. Did he give it twice? If when he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost, they received the Holy Ghost, why did they have to wait for the upper room? To receive the Holy Ghost as he told them, for you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Or did he give them enough deposit to enable them comprehend what he would teach them for 40 days? Because what he will spend 40 days teaching them before they receive the Holy Ghost is not something they could have been able to comprehend without the Holy Ghost. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Does that make sense? You know how there's no water in your house, there's just water enough to cook. How will you comprehend these things that I have opened your eyes according to Luke 24 that you may comprehend the scriptures in the absence of the spirit of truth whom I'm not yet giving you because I'm still here. You, can't, you still can't have him because I'm here. And like I told you, Jesus carried all of the spirit. We, the only way we could have received that spirit is for Jesus to go and pour it into us. 
Jesus carried the fullness of the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? So the only way that God can be in men was for Jesus to go. That's why he tells them now in John 14 and 16, John, John 14, John chapter 14, and John chapter 16. He said, it is profitable for you that I go. Because if I do not go, he will not come. But if I go, if you allow me to go, I know we've had a great time working together. You know, Emmanuel ministry has flourished. You, you know Emmanuel ministry? God with us. Jesus with us. Emmanuel ministry is internationally incorporated. Jesus with us. Imagine the bragging rights of those guys. Yes. Is that, <laughs> see, uh, Nathaniel, how far? I said, no, I'm coming. We're coming. We're going somewhere with Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> hey. Jesus. So, so we're, we're rolling with the Son of Man. <laughs> we're busy, please. Imagine the bragging rights they had. Now, you must understand that to appreciate some things Jesus says. So when he tells them, it is profitable for you that when you read through the Gospels, you'll see where Jesus always preempted the thoughts of his disciples. He always knew what they were thinking and addressed what they were thinking before they even said it. So him telling them it's profitable for you that I go is because he has sensed that they had calculated how much they were about to lose by his going. Does that make sense? He had calculated, ah, this is the way they are looking at it. There's some things we are about to lose. All these women are supplying money. Luke chapter 8. Yeah? All these houses were eating for free. All these Pharisees that cannot chance us, we can eat corn on the Sabbath. I beg you to fall in love with reading the scriptures. Can you imagine strolling through a ripe corn field on the Sabbath, plucking it and eating? You're like, touch me, I'm a Jesus. And he said, I don't know what that means, but he said, he's, he's Lord of the Sabbath. Peter, what does it mean? I don't know, and frankly, I don't care. It's what he said. He said, is the man made for the Sabbath? Or the Sabbath made for man? Eating his corn. On the Sabbath. And imagine those Pharisees looking at the disciples, red with anger. If we catch you, then I will ask. We'll ask. I'm with Jesus. So can you imagine Peter's rage when Jesus says he's going? Did you, you get it now? Come on, spoil our parole. Parole are just settling inside. To, to die. So Jesus had to assure them. Now hear what Jesus says. He says, it's profitable for you that I go because if I do not go, he will not come. But he says, if I go, I will come to you again for I will send you another comforter. I like to hammer that a loss, a loss, a loss. Another of the exact same kind. The person that came is the same with the person that left. A loss Paracletos, a loss, one of the same substance. If it was another person, another spirit that was not the spirit of Jesus, the another there should have been heteros, 
for me to get heterosexual. Male as different from female. Does that make sense? So the word used for another in the Greek is the word heteros, which means opposite of or male and female. Hence, you have a homosexual, same sex, or heterosexual, opposite sex. So another would have been heteros. But in the words of Jesus, it is used alos, which means another that is the same. So essentially, Jesus was saying, we have done great stuff with me and you. But it will not profit you if I stay here because I will never get into you. We'll just keep going around such that if I don't go with you, nothing will happen. I cannot be sleeping now and say, go, go on. I mean, a little demonic child that was brought to the disciples. They could not cast the demon out. But if you let me go, I will drop this body and use yours. I lost. I will come into you and then I will teach you all truth. Yes, sir. Yes, Lord. And then he dies and resurrects, but he's still around to teach them truth, but the spirit of truth has not entered them. So he imparts them with spirit enough to receive 40 days instruction. Until they will receive the fullness of the indwelling resident spirit of God. Then you realize how omniscient God is. Because you would have thought about it. How would these guys grasp all I'm going to teach them when I rise? When by the time they receive Holy Spirit, I would have left. Because that's the only way they can receive him. (laughs) Because he's in me. So for, for them to receive him, I have to go and release him. But I have things to teach them before I go. So we have a problem. Because without him, they cannot receive what I'm about to teach. So let me impart them with spirit enough to receive. So he breathed on them. John 22, I think. John 20, I think 21, 22. Receive the Holy Ghost. But that was not the feeling of the Holy Ghost. It's a deposit. Does that make sense? The same way in the Old Testament... Men received an anointing of the Spirit for a particular task. Yes, sir. Does that make sense? Yes, the same way the Spirit came upon David, came upon um, um, Samson, yeah, came upon Joshua, came upon Deborah, yeah, Deborah. Yeah. The same way he came upon people for a particular task. The same way he came upon Bezalel. The same way he came upon Aholiab. The same way he came upon Miriam to prophesy. It's the same way he came upon these guys to receive. Does that make sense? So they receive. And he teaches. For 40 days. I mentioned last week, Sunday, that in the book of Acts at Pentecost, our point of the Holy Ghost, people heard Jewish. Because they were Jews. And some of you looked at me like, "Mm," because according to religion, there's all kinds of different people. That were gathered in Jerusalem when Pentecost happened, and they heard different different languages. Remember that? And I explained to you last week that that's not what happened. There was Jews that were there, and these guys already had a problem with Jesus being Messiah. They had no problem with the Messiah. They had a problem with Jesus claiming he was the Messiah they were looking for. They understood the, 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 the prophecy of the Messiah. They saw clearly he would come in a, on a donkey's donkey. Right? They saw 
how he will be born. They saw that a virgin shall conceive and give birth to a child. They didn't, so none of it should have surprised them. But the fact that they knew prophecy didn't mean they accepted it. I mean, it goes back to even the time of Saul, when they had judges. And they began to cry, give us a king like the other nations. God took time to explain to them what a king would mean for them. All the bad news that having a king will bring upon them. And they said, yes, we agree. You will take your daughters, you will enslave your sons, you will pay taxes, you will take your lands. Yes, as long as we have a king like every other nation, just shall give us a king. So they heard what God, 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 God. They heard what God, God said. And they said, we don't care. And even in the we don't care attitude, God buried Jesus inside it. The way he buried redemption in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because you, I don't want you to have a king. You give us a king. Okay, take a king that will lead to the king of kings. Saul just messed it up. Right? And then David came in and held the throne until Jesus who came as the seed of David, the root of Jesse. Are you here? So, So they had a problem with the mode in which the Messiah came. They didn't and they still don't have a problem with the Messiah. They are still expecting him. They are still expecting him. Because they know, or at the time they knew he was coming. A few of them had discerned this was him. But even the ones that had discerned had a problem acknowledging it was him. Because so, 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 so for real, for real God will not change how this Jesus will come. Even after we have told him we, are not, we don't like this formula for Jesus coming. So he has come. Truly on a, on a donkey, not even a horse. And they are killing him instead of him killing them. So when people want to kill in the name of Jesus, who didn't kill? I don't understand where they're trying to get their mentorship from. Because the person who could have and should have killed did not. So he died and saved you so you would kill? Selah. I'm painting a picture so we'll come together for you in a few minutes. Right? They had a problem with how he came. Not the fact that he or the Messiah would come. Jews. Jews. We were not there. Are you following me now? We were not there. We are only heirs of Abraham according to the promise. Not according to genetics. Do you hear me? We are only heirs of Abraham according to the promise. Who is the promise? Christ. Now resident in us as the Holy Spirit. That's what connects us to Abraham. Does that make sense? We are not... Alexander. We are not spiritual Jews. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? We are not spiritual Jews. Israel is not our hometown. It's not our hometown. We are not Jews. Physical or spiritual? Right now, we are not Gentiles. Because Ephesians 2 makes clear yes, that he took the two people and out of them made one people out of the two. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
And then Peter echoes it in, in, in 2 Peter 1, 9 and 10. Who, verse 10, particularly, you, are, you who were not a people. So we, we, we are not Jews and we are not Gentiles. We are the people of God. The church of Jesus Christ. But if you would trace our history, at worst, we were Gentiles. Does that make sense? If you want to trace where we came from, we're Gentiles. Coming under the law because entire mankind was subject to the law and therefore, the Jews who had the law passed it on to mankind. Because yes, yes, when New Testament guys teach and say, we have never been under the law, but we have been held bound by the law. Because if you are saying we have never been under the law, what you are implying is we have never been in sin. Because there cannot be sin in the absence of the law. So we have to learn to calm down and fully understand scripture. Not be in a hurry to draw lines. Yes, sir. For by law is the knowledge of sin. Yes, I will not have known what sin was except that. Does that make sense? Yes, but scripture, Paul says in Galatians, has confined all under sin. And how does the sin come? By the law. That means all of humanity at one point or the other were under the law, being held bondage for faith. So the law was given by Jews, but it affected all of humanity. Does that make sense? That's why Jesus says, for salvation is of the Jews, or by the Jews, or from the Jews. Does that make sense? But you say, we're Gentiles. We have no blood link to Abraham at all. So there's certain nuances, certain instructions, certain realities that applied to the biological Jews that never applied or will ever apply to us. One of the most key things that differentiates us from Jews is the fact that they had all the information about the coming Messiah and they rejected him. They did not reject his, hear me carefully, they did not reject his message That's what we explore today. The, the, the Jews did not even allow themselves to get to the point of reckoning with what Jesus came to preach. They had a problem with him. Does that make sense? We know Mary. We know Joe. And nothing nice can come out of Mary because Mary means bitter. And you say, Mary, give birth to the savior of the Jews. Mary. Oh, please, there's nothing sweet about that. Joseph Carpenter. We watched you grow. Wasn't it they forgot from Jerusalem that time you were 12 years old? Everybody was going, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? When, when has you seen Jesus? Ah, three days ago. I remember when they were looking for you, you could not find your way home. You now get up. Because you are now shaving. Who understands the language I'm talking about? 
some of our parents that are, are legends. When they finish, you doubt your own life and your salvation. Because you cannot use shaving stick. You not get up. You didn't say you're the savior of your family. Of Joseph's people. Nazareth, Bethlehem. Galilee. You get up and say you are this. You came to give us kingdom. You, you were before Abraham. You were before Abraham. You were before Abraham. Jesus. You, Jesus. Do you understand the difficulty? You. You. One minute you are getting drunk in Levi's house. Because Jesus himself said, John came to you, not eating and drinking. And you rejected him. He said, the son of man came, eating and drinking. So that means the Jews' problem was not eating or drinking. The Jews' problem was the Jews. <laughs> they were their own problem. Because if you eat, you don't eat, you drink, you don't drink. So how do we win? So they had a problem with Jesus. Even though they understood the concept and the prophecy of the Messiah. Are you here? There's a difference between somebody, hear me carefully. A difference between somebody who knows and refuses. And somebody who does not know. Until he knows and believes. Does that make sense? When we teach the gospel, we teach the gospel to people who do not know. And therefore have not believed. Does that make sense? In the times of, the, of Jesus, the Jews had a problem with him. They knew what he, was, he should be like. And they didn't accept the fact that he was Jesus. Hence, John had to go ahead of them to prepare them to receive Jesus. That's why John didn't preach the forgiveness of sins. John preached preparing the way for Jesus. Who will come and talk about what he's coming to talk about? Are you here? So now Jesus dies, resurrects, speaks, takes time to teach these guys over 40 days. We see that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. Look at that in your Bibles quickly. Acts 1 and 3. Hear how Bibles are flipping. It's a beautiful sound. Pages flipping. 1 and 3. Are we there? To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and, and, I want to draw your attention to the and. Yeah? And. Speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And. Speaking of the things of the kingdom of God over 40 days. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. Appearing to them over a period of, I'm looking at the lexicon, 40 days. And speaking. Which is to say. Not, so even the word kai as, an, as a conjunction does not exist in this verse. It is that he appeared to them over 40 days speaking. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. 
so that's why I said, um, I think it was two weeks ago, about how in, around resurrection, why would I have thrown a resurrection party? Don't Thanksgiving concert, you know? <laughs> the guy showed up and doing teaching for 40 days. He showed up, spent 40 days to teach them. Does that make sense? To teach them. On the bedrock of that, Peter then gets up after the Holy Ghost then comes upon them, right? To speak in Acts chapter 2. That's why I said to you to mind who the audience was. Is this helping you? When they say there were all kinds of people all over Israel that were there. Let's see Peter's message. Let's see his emphasis because of his audience. Right? Acts chapter 2, let's start from verse 5. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. See that word first? Jews, right? Jews. Are you there? From every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Acts chapter 2. This is the TPT. I'm reading the TPT. I'll interchange here and there. 2 and 5. Now at the time there were Jewish worshippers who had emigrated from many different lands to live in Jerusalem. Do you see that? There were Jewish worshippers. Right? And when the sound occurred, verse 6, the multitudes came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. I'll come to this in a minute. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born? That sometimes confuses people to think that there are multiple different languages. Because they start to call a few languages in, the, in, verse, 10, in verse 9. Passions and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Proselytes were Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Verse 11 in the TPT says, Yet we hear them speaking of God's mighty wonders in our own dialects. These dialects could either be the languages of where these people came from as Jews, and it doesn't suggest that the disciples spoke in those tongues. What the language says here is that they heard in those tongues. Does that make sense? And it's a clear difference. How is it that we hear them speaking? Hmm? Verse 11. We hear them speaking in our own language. Yet we hear them speaking. Verse 6. When the sound occurred, you can James, the multitudes came together and were confused because everyone heard 
When the people of the city heard the roaring sound, TPT crowds came together running to where it was coming from, stunned over what was happening because each one could hear the disciples speaking in each his own language. It's a spirit phenomenon. The fact that you heard languages does not necessarily mean that this guy spoke different languages. And that's one. Two, the languages that would have been heard would have not been multiple different languages except at best Dialects of where these guys came from because they were Jews. It is like Joseph now, this cross Riverian that is a Yoruba boy. Even his accent. Yoruba accent. Where's promise? This is promise. He's supposed to be an Igbo child. Supposed to be. But serious Legosian boy. Mercy Igris. That's supposed to be from Yako. And it's completely Lagos. The accent, the H. And there's a bunch of us like that. That are totally influenced by the environment we grew up in. So you see multiple languages at best could refer to the languages that they were accustomed to where they came from. That would have been the phenomenon that they experienced, they heard what Galilee, that's what they said, you know, Galileans. What they are speaking is not, it's not Galilean Jewish who are supposed to be hearing. How come what we're hearing is different languages? But who were gathered in that place? Jews. I know some of you, your ears and bodies are itching already. Saying, ah, ah, but is it not? Are you sure it's juice? Hmm. Where are we? We're in 12. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? 13 others mocking said, they're full of new wine. A new wine is deadlier than old wine. 14. Look at this carefully, please. 14. But Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, Please read what you see there. Uh-huh. Stop. Men of Judea and all who dwell. We'll come back and read the message. But skip to verse 22 and read the first six words. <laughs> Men of Israel. Men of Israel. Verse 29. Men and brethren. My fellow Jews. 29 in the TPT says, my fellow Jews, actually. Does anybody have it? Check your phone, TPT. Verse 29. My fellow Jews. Thank you. 36. You can James, read. Let all the house of So, two things. Who were gathered in that place? Who were being addressed in that place? And it has always been there. Because from verse 5 it says they were gathered in Jerusalem. Jews. From every nation under heaven. Jews. 
Because Jews understood that in that time of the year, they will journey to Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks. Make sense? So it was Jews that the disciples were dealing with who heard them pray in the languages that they they knew. Make sense? Or were exposed to. Now let's look at the actual message of Peter from verse 14. Are we making any sense? Peter standing up with the eleven raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my word. See who he's pushing at. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. This is 9 a.m. Okay? 6 a.m. being the first hour, according to the Jewish time calendar, right? 7 a.m. being the second. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, and blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Are you listening at all? Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is what Joel wrote when he said, I will show you wonders, blood and fire, and vapor of smoke, turned into darkness, moon into blood. This. But there was no moon into blood that day. At least not to the physical eye. No vapor and fire of smoke. What does that tell you? That all of these things were types and shadows of the giving of the Holy Spirit. For these are not drunk as you suppose. We're back in verse 15. You'll get it. Take your time. Since it is only the third hour of the day. Six into seven is one hour. Seven into eight is two hours. Eight into nine is the third hour. But this, this. What is this? What was Peter trying to explain? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Are we there? And it says this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days. I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you see that? So what are all these things a type of? The day of the Lord. What was the day of the Lord? The giving of the Holy Spirit. Because Peter says, this is what Joel wrote about. This not being the end of days. Paul didn't, Peter wasn't speaking generically. He was saying, this thing you are seeing. Men prophesying the Holy Ghost upon people. You know, people speaking in tongues. This is what Joel wrote about when he said, on that great and awesome day of the Lord, blood and vapor and fire and smoke. What were all those things? Types and shadows. Visual types and shadows of what was to come by the giving of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? That's why the Holy Spirit is not fire. The Holy Spirit is not wind. The Holy Spirit is not water. The Holy Spirit is not oil. 
the Holy Spirit is not a sound. A sound came in the upper room and the Holy Ghost had not come. Cloven tongues of fire fell on their heads and the Spirit had not come. The house they were in was shaking and the Holy Spirit had not come. So the Holy Spirit is not wind. Even if wind is used to describe him. Are you here? The Holy Spirit is not fire. Doesn't burn people. Even if fire is used to describe him. These are things that describe the characteristics and the intensity of the function of the Holy Spirit. Not his personality. Does that make sense? The intensity, the expressions. It's not oil. But it comes upon you as oil will come upon a person. So oil was used to typify or foreshadow the giving of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? He's not wind. Because even in the book of 2 Kings, when Elijah was there waiting to hear from God, the wind came and God was not in it. But these things describe the intensity. Just like Jesus is not a lion. And he's not a lamb. He is the son who was offered as a lamb. A lamb is a baby goat. The baby of a goat is a lamb. Lamb is the baby of a goat, no? Or a lamb or a sheep. Same difference. Does goat and sheep bleat differently? Sheep and lamb. Mary had a little lamb. There's no difference. What was slaughtered was a goat or a, or a lamb. According to Leviticus, Leviticus 16. So a lamb wasn't killed. A son was offered up as a sacrifice. And because he defeated the enemy, sin and death, he's referred to as a lion of the tribe of Judah because the standard of the tribe of Judah is a lion. Does that make sense? So these are things that show the intensities or the characteristics or the expressions of. Make sense? So the Holy Spirit is not wind. Wind of the Spirit. Wind of the spirit, fire of the Holy Ghost, fire, fire, fire of the. You know, most times those chants is hypnosis. That's how you would chant it, chant it, chant it. Your senses would dulling, 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 and you feel yourself raptured. By the time you're there, anything you want to do, you will do. There's power in vain repetition. No? Just be chanting the same thing. You see, you're worshiping. Can I ask you a simple question? If you are chanting in the Holy Ghost, how did you write it and it becomes a song you can repeat every time in different services? If it's a spontaneous chant of the Holy Ghost. Because if it was a spirit sound, it should have come spontaneously. Whatever it is, you release it, release it, release it. He does his job, it's done. The next time you need, he will supply another sound. 
But you sit down, you wrote a song. Yeah, 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 yeah. Watch when these songs are sung. Watch the frenzy that the people try to walk you into. With such desperation. Because at that time, they are trying to feel a power. So make it loud. Push it. Darling, you, you don't know the power of sound. This is what Joel wrote of. So while you are there expecting blood and fire and vapor of smoke, you are expecting to see the moon turn into blood. Before you know that that is the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Let me tell you now, this Holy Spirit you are seeing in people is the fire, the blood, vapor of smoke. This is what Joel meant. So you can't go and look for this in Joel 2 and read it and come and say, the Bible says, in the day of the Lord there shall be vapor. <laughs> Brethren, let us now pray. Today, the moon must bring blood. According to the word of the Lord. And this is the mess that Christianity is in today. This is the mess Christianity is in. You go and pick one scripture in isolation. Do not connect it to anything else. And start to punish the saints of God. To pray what you know God will not answer. You know. You know. You know. But you occupy the people with religious opium. But you know. Because these things are typologies. There are shadows pointing to something. There are shadows pointing to something. So what are we saying? You can't take scripture and apply it out of its context. And Peter tells the Jews, you are looking for blood and vapor and fire. I am telling you that this is the vapor, the blood, the fire, the smoke. This is it. And then you'll be thinking, but how? We didn't see blood moon. But this. Let's finish it. 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Men of Israel. Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to God, by God to you. By miracles. Wonders. And signs which God did. Through him in your midst. As you yourselves also know. Three. See the result of teaching now. Stay with me. Is Peter speaking? Of? Peter. Now says him. Being delivered by the determined purpose. And for. This is something that was stopping Jesus from being killed. Now he's saying. Him. Being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. How did he know this now? Jesus had taught him over 40 days. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. 24. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. This was the prayer that Hebrews was referring to. That Jesus in the days of his flesh prayed that he should not see death. 
and his prayer was answered. I talked about this one time. You know that scripture in Hebrews? Jesus prayed that he should not see death. And it was answered because of his godly fear. <laughs> Let me bring it up. Jesus prayed to not die. And his prayer was answered because he believed. <laughs> but Jesus died, no? Hebrews 5. Oh, come back to Acts 2. Hebrews 5. <laughs> he counted the hours from 6. 6 to 7 is the first hour. 78 is the second hour, according to scriptures. Hebrews 5 and 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, it was God who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Who, talking about this Jesus now, in the days of his flesh, Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Uh -huh. Hello. I'm trying to find newer translations. In the days of his humanity, he offered up both prayers and pleas with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death and was heard because of his devout behavior. God, save me from death. And, and scripture says God heard him. What did he mean? God, you have promised, as David said, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Nor your son see decay. Now, if this is me now, I don't fancy dying and not rising. That was Jesus' prayer. I don't fancy dying and seeing decay. It's not, it's not what I'm looking forward to. So do not leave me, stay dead. And he was heard. So Paul would say the spirit that raised up Christ from the dead. Are you following me now? Okay. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. 24. Whom God raised up. Do you see it now? Having loosed the pains of death. Make sense? Because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. David said concerning Jesus. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, the place of the dead, not hellly. Hello, I've told you, hell is not the place where sinners go, and hell is not a fire. Hell is where every dead person goes, believer or unbeliever, until resurrection. Hey, this. It's, that's hell. In the Greek. Place of the dead. Not place of the unbelieving dead. It was because Jesus showed up in Hades. That dead people showed up in Jerusalem walking. Because when he went to the place of the dead, what did he take? The keys of death. 
for it was not possible for him to be held by it. That's why dead men showed up in the city briefly and showed themselves up to their loved ones. Yes. <laughs> like, when a short break, oh, Jesus all land outside. <laughs> <laughs> it's a short break. Jesus just showed up. Yes, we are going back to sleep. We'll see you at the resurrection. Yes, Hades, 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 yes, Hades. That's why death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20. Death and hell. Hades are cast into fire. Hell is not fire. There's nothing called hell fire in your Bible. It's a religious concoction. Everybody goes to hell when they die. There is a place where dead people go. Simple. I'm going to hell fire. You can't threaten me with something that doesn't exist. Do you understand what I'm saying? Interesting. Going to hellfire. Let's go. Because if hell were a fire, the day I enter there becomes AC. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Moment I step in there, it becomes heaven, paradise. You couldn't hold him. He can't hold me. It's not a thing, please. For you will not leave my soul in Hades. Some translations here will say hell. If hell were fire where sinners go, what you are saying is that when Jesus died, he went to fire to burn. That's what you're saying. And when he went there, Satan with his three-pronged fork and his two horns and big fangs and teeth and say, hey, Shabby, I've got you now. Let's, let's interpret scriptures carefully. Because you're saying Jesus went to hell. Jesus burned fire. But these are things that scriptures don't teach. Can't you hear how absurd they sound? So you will not allow, you will not leave my soul in Hades, in the place of dead people. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see Corruption. It has to be mentioned like that. Corruption. Acts chapter 2, verse number 27. In, in the TPT. Will say, and I quote, Because you will not leave my soul among the dead. You see it? It's the dead. No, will you allow your sacred one to experience decay? You see that? So the word Hades is substituted for the word among the dead. Or corruption. Not the fire, brother. <laughs> It's not the fire. You will not suffer my soul to see decay. You will not leave my soul in Hades, in the place of the dead. 
Because if Jesus died, duh, the dead goes to the place where dead people go. Do you understand? Simple. When they say Jesus went to hell to go and fight, ah, uh-uh, come on. It's only fighting to place on the cross. So that's the problem. See, see, see what Peter says. He says, this Holy Spirit upon you is what Joel said. Now you're looking at Joel. You're hoping to see fire, vapor, all of that in the advent of the Holy Ghost. In the same way, those of you that are looking for God to fight and you keep picturing God in, in armor and say you are the mighty man in battle. This was his fight. Vengeance is mine. This was the vengeance. But Christians don't like this image. It portrays a weak person that can be taken advantage of. So we build up a God that is in an armor tank carrying bazooka, chariot and horses. Do you know it is an insult for you to stay today and say God is fighting. Fighting with who? So he has to even fight to win? And he's God? And he has to fight? Who is? So I have a person that is troubling me. God now has to come. Almighty God will now fight the person from my village or from my office to win them and give me victory. God. And so you are the one that fights my battles. Do you know how insulting that is to God? God has never had a befitting contender. Ever. Never had a befitting contender. Do you realize that it's the man Christ Jesus that fought for you? The man Christ Jesus fought for you by his death. Spoiled, Colossians 2, having spoiled principalities and powers, made an open show of them on the cross. That's why they will say, if the princes of this world had known. Because they didn't realize that crucifying him was them losing the fight. <laughs> and they were shouting crucify him crucify him and God was shouting yes Lord yes Lord yes Lord that's the plan that's the plan and Pilate stands and says but you know he's, he's innocent his blood shall be on your head they shouted let his blood be on our head and today his blood They thought, they thought they were taking consequence for their actions. They didn't understand they were taking consequence. They thought they were saying, yeah, we want this guy to die so badly that let the impact of his death be on us. The impact of his death is on us. We will take the consequence. I, mean, I will take the consequence out. 
God is, you see why Isaiah was saying chapter 53, he pleased God to blue him. God is like, yes, you will have the consequence. You will have it. His blood will be, that's the plan. His blood will be on your head. That's the plan. That's the plan. Because in that was the victory. That. There's no fight to fight after the cross. So you have household wickedness from your father's house. Eh? Stronger than the cross? Stronger than the cross? No. He spoiled it. They don't repair that kind of spoiling. Mm. Please take your seats. Let's, let's, let's continue and finish. His blood is upon our heads. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He <laughs> bear upon us the consequence of his death. Yes, sir. I it. Fully and proudly. I don't feel sorry for killing Jesus. It was either his life or mine. I so I chose for it to be his life for mine. It was either his life or mine. I chose his life for mine. My, do you understand? My dying would have profited me nothing. <laughs> Why will I come and kill myself for what cannot help me? And somebody said, kill me to help you. Sir, you are dead. Sir, we will beat you. We will, we will bruise you. See, we will strip you naked. We will, sir, for my, you, you, you will crucify you. So you say at the end of all of this is that my life, I will now live forever. And have it. Sir, die, please. Please, can you hurry up and die? Please. Because you're dead, that means something. Death means nothing. You can't even save me, me alone. <laughs> you can't save me. And then we have a choice to choose who to be crucified. Size you. Barnabas set him free, set me free. Because my death will not profit me anything. I am guilty as charged. I am terrible. I am evil. I am bad. I deserve to die, but if I die, who will he help? So Barabbas should, what should we do with Barabbas? Release Barabbas. Barabbas is not hurting anybody. Barabbas' death is not helping anybody. He just, because in Barabbas, you were. Walking scot-free when you ought to die. And then in Jesus, you were being punished so you can live. Barabbas, son of man. That's what he means. Jesus, son of man. Barabbas means son of man. Jesus, son of man, two sons of men, two systems at the cross. One was set free when he deserved to die. One did nothing wrong but took your sin so you could believe, so he died. Two. And you, you came out walking free and wondering who spoke for me. Barabbas is coming out. It's not nothing. Barabbas didn't do anything. Somebody just took his place. 
it. He didn't, he was not released for good behavior on parole. You know, <laughs> his, his parole hearing came up. They said, ah, he has been a good boy, he has not fought anybody. I'm very sure, eh, I'm very sure in that prison, Barabbas was a terror. Barabbas. Barabbas. Because there's nothing that suggests he was repentant. Nothing. Barabbas. That's why Pilate chose him. Say, how about this? Bad, this is the baddest of the baddest. Say, so release him now. You kill him, you know, won't help us. He's like us. <laughs> In fact, he's us. He's us. <laughs> we have anybody. So set him free, but kill the person that can help us. Yes, sir. Even if we don't know what we're talking about. Yes, but he's innocent, oh. His blood, sir, his innocent blood we are looking for. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> it's only innocent blood that can speak for us. And it cannot come from us. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. This is glorious gospel. 29, let me, let me finish this. Hallelujah. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, 30, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, that's David, foreseeing this. So David himself knew that Solomon was not the son of promise. Spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ that his soul was not left in Hades. Nor did his flesh see corruption. 32. This, not just Jesus. Yeah? This Jesus. This Jesus, God has, this Jesus that came from David's seed. This one God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having, look at this, received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this you see and hear. What are you seeing and hearing? The Holy Spirit. So, he received the promise from the Father, poured it out upon us. So, when Jesus came in the power of the Holy Ghost, Acts 10:8, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good, healing sick, for God was with him. The, the, the containing of the Holy Ghost in Jesus was for you and I. Yes. Jesus kept or held the Holy Ghost in trust. Until he would pour it out on us. You see Jesus. I'm, I'm trying to avoid not going to. I was going to say you see Jesus is God. Which, which, which means that Jesus could have just done God. But this was, this was the word made flesh. So he subjects himself to the agency of the Holy Spirit. Let me do all things by the Holy Spirit. So he can know how to use the Holy Spirit. 
when I, when I give him to you. So, so me subjecting myself to do as led by the Holy Spirit is me priming and teaching you how you will walk with the Holy Spirit when I take him out of me and give to you. That's why he allowed himself as a man to receive the Holy Spirit and walk within the confines of the Holy Spirit so you will know how to do the same in this body of flesh. So he... Are you getting it? Yeah. So he received the Holy Ghost of the Father for you. He kept it in him until you were ready to receive it. The moment you were ready to receive it, he offloaded it to you. I meant to glory. Because where is the ministry of the Holy Ghost useful? I've told you before. On earth. The Holy Spirit ministry is not eternal. I've said it over and over. It's not eternal. So he holds it in trust, offloads it to you. Now the spirit of God is not in the son. The spirit of God is, is in us. And when we become, when we see him and we come as him, the spirit will no longer be in us. We will be spirit as the son. So you will turn around in the day of the Lord and look for the Holy Spirit and you will find him. Until you look in the mirror. Because I've told you over and over at the end of the ages only one thing will be left standing. God. And us in him as him. Look around, the Holy Spirit, precious Holy Spirit, you will not find him. The idea is not for him to lead you always. It's for him to lead you until he delivers you to glory. There's a lot that the church will learn. We will learn them before he comes. <laughs> we'll learn them before he comes. So he received the promise of the Holy Spirit. Let's finish. And he poured out that which you now see and hear. What are they seeing and hearing? The manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So 34. 34. Those of you that are calling David from heaven to join you in worship. <laughs> For David did not ascend into the heavens. Verse 29. Let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. That he is both one, dead, two, buried, three, his tomb is with us till this day. 34. For that David who is dead, who is buried, whose tomb is with us to this day, did not ascend into heaven. So what is the confusion and the argument? What happened to David? Dead, buried, tomb with us to this day. Because if when he was saying, you shall not suffer the Holy One to see corruption. You shall not leave my soul in Hades. If David was referring to himself, then David should have ascended to heaven when he died. That's Peter's argument. And should not have seen corruption. But because it was not David, David was speaking of. David, who said, you will not suffer my soul to see corruption, died, buried his tomb, he didn't ascend anywhere. 
Because it was not David he was speaking of. Are you following Peter's argument? Okay. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord says to my Lord, Hebrews repeats this in chapter 1. The Lord says to my Lord, Oh, I know who he is to me. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, 36, let all the house of Israel, the house of Israel, know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were caught to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, first of all, you see that Peter's message is directly targeted at the Jews. And their, his, their message, which highlights the gospel. Jesus, a man of Nazareth, attested by God to you. As you yourselves know, delivered by the predetermined, predetermined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul says, for I delivered to you that which I received, the gospel that you believe in, which you also stand, how that Christ died according to the scriptures, how that he was buried according to the scriptures, how that he appeared to others according to the scriptures. That's consistent with what Peter is saying. But Peter here is not emphasizing or has not emphasized the message. Peter has emphasized the person. Because we are not about to start talking to Jews about grace, which is why Jesus died. About kingdom, which is all Jesus has been saying when he was alive. His kingdom that made you kill him. Yes, yes. true, 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 sir. That was his message. Yes, sir. Right? Yes, sir. I made you kill him and us if we didn't run for our lives. Peter said, I don't even know. I've never heard the name. Jesus. Is it from around here? <laughs> he said, you sound like a Galilee. I said, I never ever met the man. Three times. He was, he was killed for his message. So these guys are speaking to Jews. And they are not emphasizing the message. They are not even yet emphasizing the impact of his death. They are making an argument to convince these men of Israel that this guy who you killed is both Lord and King, his Messiah. If you accept that, then we can start to probably unpack what his death means for you. Does that make sense? So, it was the gospel that Peter was speaking, but it was not the gospel call. It was an argument for the messenger. The, pers- the proponent of the message. Now you look at it another way, you will look at it as though Peter had his own message. He didn't. He had his own focus about the same message. Are you guys following me? What was his focus? The person and subsequent lordship of Jesus. This is the Jesus that the David you respect talked about. Have you followed the argument? This is the same pattern 
of Stephen's message. Three chapters or four chapters later. Stephen even goes further. Calls a lot more of the patriarchs. Highlights that. If I have time, we'll get to that. Highlights all the things they said and how it culminates in Jesus. Again, emphasizing Jesus. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean that Peter preached a different message. These guys had a hard time convincing Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Before we even talk about what he came to do for you. Because if you can't receive me, you can't benefit of what I, I can do for you. Make sense? So Peter emphasizes on this, focusing on the person and the nature of Jesus. Because that was the major challenge of the Jews. Not what Jesus was preaching, but who was preaching it and what he was claiming. That's why when he says, your sins are forgiven, they say, who are you? You can forgive sins. They believed in the forgiveness of sins. They did not believe it can come from somebody like Jesus from Nazareth. And because they did not believe it, they could not receive it. So he came to his own, his own received him not. That's why we, as that wild olive, Paul says in Romans, we're now grafted into this vine. While we're waiting for Israel to come to terms with the fact that they should have been the first to receive this salvation. While you're waiting for your eyes to be opened, the salvation has been given to all men. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. So since it's for all men, why Jews are still grappling with whether or not they're going to accept the messenger? We that don't have a problem with it because we're not from Judah or Levi or Jerusalem. We see, just give us this salvation. Let's begin to enjoy it already. So it's passed on to us. And that's why Paul tells the, us in Romans, don't now use it as occasion to insult Israel. That's the argument that goes into chapter 11 of Romans. Because there is still this salvation. That's what Paul says. So don't get proud because you have received what the Jews have not received. That's what Paul is telling the Roman church. The fact that they, they passed up on it doesn't mean they will not receive it. You actually are a second beneficiary of this thing, so calm down. That's what Paul was telling the Romans. Does that make sense? Now we received it because we didn't have a problem. We we don't have to convince ourselves whether or not Jesus is the Savior because he didn't come from our village. He has nothing to do with us. Does that make sense? It has nothing to do with us. Because it's not from our village here. We're not from Nazareth. It doesn't matter to us what kind of family Jesus grew in before we can believe that he died for our sins. It doesn't apply to us. Who is understanding what I'm saying? It doesn't apply to us. We didn't even watch him grow up. We have eyewitness accounts. Corroborated, I must add, corroborated eyewitness accounts. Which make it sweeter and easier for us to believe. Because sometimes familiarity is why you don't receive something. Most times familiarity is is a hindrance. Some of you are here. I don't know how old you are. If you're like 30s or 40s. Your secondary school, primary school classmates have a hard time believing anything about you being serious. Have a hard time with you. <laughs> you. So sometimes the enemy will come and he will want to pin you to your past. So it's not you. That 30 years ago, you did this. You to remind him, it's not you that in the next few years, see what will happen to you. Reminds you of your past. Remind him of his future. Because my past is past. You always call me, sir. As surely as the Lord lives. 
me, I was forgiving. You, you are, you are hopeless. <laughs> I'm a son, you're a slave, and you're going to rot in eternal extinction. You have nothing to say to me here. This is a son's zone. You don't come and accuse me of what the blood forgave me of. But you, you're hopeless. No hope. You that have, it has been written of you, how you are going to end. Do you want me to read it to you? Or are you going to now go and look for somebody else to disturb? I have to treat the devil like the rascal dog that he is. It's not worth you praying to. Satan, I speak to you. And then just, Satan, hear me. No, no. He's a rabid dog. That's how you treat him. You know those dogs that you, you treat without respect? No, you don't treat him with any dignity. Shall I read you what is written concerning you? You want to know? You should be thinking I'm planning. One ta- Do you know what 1,000 years is? The bottom rest will be falling, 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 When me, I'll be ruling in the earth. Yeah. Take your nonsense out of here. Yes, you, I, my, I was messed up in the past. You are a futuristic, hopeless case. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Messed up in the past. You all mess up his loadings on steroids. It's coming. Let me know if you will hear his voice again. You will not hear his voice again. Because he's a coward that doesn't go where they figured him out. He doesn't go. Satan doesn't show up where they figured him out. Because he's not a lion. His eyes a lion. It's film trick. <laughs> it's film trick. So this guy is focused on the message. They focus on the person. And not necessarily... On his message. Acts chapter 7. I have to go ahead with this. Is this helping anybody? Just to make the point, let's pick up from verse 51. Yeah? Acts 7, 51. Oh, the grace of God is beautiful, man. 51. You stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. This is Stephen speaking. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? See the emphasis. And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one. That's Jesus. Of whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers. Who have received by law, the law, by the direction of angels. And have not kept it. When they heard these things, 54, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Not gnashed. Yeah, the G is silent. Just in case you didn't know. It's gnashed at him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And said, look, I see the heavens opened and a son of man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's his first introduction. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 60, then he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. 
And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which is to say he died. So again, you see him addressing Israel, challenging their resisting of the message of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit as the revelation of Christ. Does that make sense? So in the early post outpouring, yeah, post, in quote, Pentecost, I've explained that. So I'm using the word noun lightly. Yeah. Or let me say, in the period immediately following the giving of the Holy Spirit, the emphasis to the immediate Jews was on the person of Jesus as Messiah. That is not to say that they were preaching a different gospel. Does that make sense? But their emphasis or their focus was to highlight him as the Messiah because if you don't accept him as the Messiah, you cannot accept him as the propitiation for your sin. Does that make sense? Right up to Stephen, they're emphasizing the savior or the salvation of Jesus. Right? Church enters persecution right in Acts chapter 8. We finished reading Acts 7. Stephen dies and we see the figurehead that will persecute the church is introduced in chapter 7 with the clothes of the people killing Stephen at his feet. That sets the stage for chapter 8. Acts 8, verse 1, you see that now Saul was consenting to his death. Do you get it? Saul is right there. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, verse 3. He made havoc of the church. Entering, look at this, every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Are you here? Verse 4. Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Small w. Preaching the scriptures. 5. Then... Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. At this point, Philip starts to preach the message of the gospel. Not emphasis on the person of Christ such that they should receive him. Where is he preaching this? Not Judea, Samaria. Who did not have a problem receiving the message of Christ. In fact, the first time a Samaritan woman encounters him, she says, I perceive you are a prophet. I've been waiting for somebody like you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. True, sir. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. They had no problem receiving Jesus. So Philip starts to preach Christ first. Peter, the early apostle, Stephen, make an argument for Jesus as the Messiah to the Jews. Are you following me? Because if you don't accept that this Jesus is the one that was talked about, you can't receive what he came to do. And let's emphasize on this Jesus. This Jesus. So Peter keeps saying, this Jesus. This same Jesus. This Jesus. He's selling the reception or the acknowledgement of Jesus as the Messiah that was prophesied. 
That was the emphasis of Peter's initial message and messages to the Jews. Are you following me now? Which is why in some cases, this kind of message was accompanied by the baptism in water. Unto repentance, not unto the forgiveness of sins. Because these guys were not even in the place where they could even deal with and accept the forgiveness of sins by a person whose messianic nature they have refused. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Are you here now? Until we see Philip starts to preach Christ as he went, starting at Samaria. Are you here? We're in verse 5. 6, Acts 8 and 6. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. 9. But a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria claiming he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest said this man look at this one not has this man is the great power of God see how gullible human beings can be and they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time please see verse 12 that's the emphasis now of how you start to see the gospel message take on more flesh and meat. Twelve. But when they believed Philip, as he preached, look at this, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. That's the emphasis. Both men and women were baptized. This here doesn't specify the medium with which they were baptized. And it would be wrong of us to conclude that it was water. Because the emphasis was baptizing them in the name. In fact, I saw a scripture as I was studying yesterday that I was going to mention. I was like, ah, man. And it interested me. Oh, I, I wish I could find it. You know how I explained during church consciousness that um, there are different mediums of baptism, right? Um, and I, I, I put it somewhere. Mark chapter 10. When I saw it, I was, I was jumping and screaming. I was like, that's another medium of baptism that we didn't mention in church consciousness. We're in Acts 8, yeah? But now we're in Mark 10. And it is verse 35. Same boys, James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> yeah. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit. One on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. Look at verse 38. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? See this. And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And this was not referring to water or even spirit. What was the medium here? Death. 
Some translations actually even said immersion. Some translations said immersion. If you find it, let me know. Literal standard version. And Jesus said to them, you have not known what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I drink of? And with the immersion that I'm immersed to be immersed. NET. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I experience? And what was he talking about here? His death. NLT. Sorry? TPT. I, I, don't, I don't have it. Yeah, okay, amplify. Read, read, read for me. Open TPT, Joe. Amplified says. Who had the TPT? You have lost it. Find it. What do you have? TPT. Read out. I'll, I'll read it out again. Jesus said to them, you don't have a clue what you're asking for. Are you prepared to drink from the cup of suffering that I'm about to, to drink? And are you able to endure the baptism into death that I'm about to experience? Have you found it? Yeah. You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism of suffering and death with which I am baptized. Bam. So you can't assume water every time you see baptism. You can't. And when I saw it, I was like, I was like, but but you God now you have shown me this thing now when I was in church. <laughs> but that's how you never stop learning. I was just studying and I saw it. I was, I was so excited. I typed it somewhere. So when you see that they were baptized after hearing Christ, you can't assume in Acts 8 that it was water baptism for repentance. Because at this time, Philip was already teaching the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, who is the kingdom of God. Or the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, which is to say the name of Jesus. Are we here? We're currently in Acts chapter 8. Somewhere around verse 12. Simon believed, was baptized, you know, and then he begins to proceed. In same chapter 8, Philip is caught up and he meets this guy on the road to Jerusalem, the Ethiopian eunuch. Are we there? And this is verse 29, same chapter 8, Acts 8, 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are? Reading, and he says, how can I, unless someone guides me? And, he's, and he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. 32, the place in the scripture he read was this, Isaiah 53. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its share is silent, so he opened up his mouth. In humility, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip 34 and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now we can safely conclude, look up, that Philip's preaching of Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch is definitely not with the emphasis of Peter's preaching of Jesus to the Jews. Because the Ethiopian, you know, 
Philip couldn't possibly be telling him, this Jesus, you people crucified, you rejected, he's Lord and King, so now if you don't receive him, no, no, the guy was primed. He didn't have the preconceived pessimistic notion of Jesus or the refusal that the Jews had. So Philip begins to preach Jesus to him. What Jesus was Philip preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch? Things pertaining to the kingdom and the name of Jesus. A.K.A. the gospel. Does that make sense? So we don't see Philip on record preaching Jesus to convince Jews that he's the Messiah. We see Philip beginning to preach Jesus as the kingdom. Which is the gospel of the grace of God. Because the grace of God restores us to what? The kingdom. Restores us to who? The kingdom. So when Jesus says in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom, 33, and his righteousness. His, the righteousness of the kingdom. As a person. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, seek you first the kingdom of God and the righteousness of the kingdom of God. Because when they asked him, when would the kingdom come? He said, the kingdom of God is standing in front of you. You don't know it. So he is the kingdom. So when Philip starts to explain to the Ethiopian, you know, what does he start to hear? The things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. Does that make sense? Now, at this point again, He's baptized in water. He says nothing stops him from being baptized in water. Believes that you want to have a you want to have a dip. Go ahead and have a dip. And he's baptized. Somebody was saying the other day that there are so many baptisms in the, in the in the book of Acts. You know, are you saying that they were wrong? We're saying that some of them were. Because it has to be consistent with what Jesus the Baptist said. And where these guys got it mixed up, we by the spirit of God. And the power of hindsight can establish that they got it mixed up. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. So this brings us to the end of Acts chapter 8. Towards the end of Acts chapter 8. Um, yeah, Acts chapter 8. And then into chapter 9, which is when Saul, on his way to still kill some more Christians, encounters the Lord, identifies him as Lord, is sent to Ananias, gets converted, and then instantly starts to speak. Now see verse 15 of Acts 9. Acts 9 and 15. Are you there? But the Lord said to him, Go, telling Ananias, for he, talking about Saul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles. Number one. Kings, number two, and the children of Israel. You see the emphasis? That's what Saul was primed for. Same gospel, different audience. But Saul, being a Jew, decided to start preaching to Jews. But when God called him, and God told Ananias, he said, I have called him to bear this same gospel to the Gentiles. And to kings. Saul started off going to Jews. Out of frustration. When he realized that the thing was not working. By Acts chapter 13. Let's go there. We'll come back. I need it to come together for you. Acts 13. 42. 42. Are we there? 
Acts 13. You're in Bible school. Yes, sir. 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue and the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes as the other people, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. The Jews, right? Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, addressing Jews. But since you reject it, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Then he now remembered what he had forgotten. For so the Lord had commanded us. My mom would say, oh. So now you know. For so the Lord had commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. The light bulb came up in Paul's head. I should be talking to Gentiles. Are we here? But by his call, what did God tell Ananias in chapter 9? I have set him aside to bear my name before Gentiles and before kings. So the only way Paul could fulfill his gospel mandate was to keep getting in trouble and the trouble should make him stand before kings. Now you would have thought they would have been inviting you, giving you VIP pass to the king's palace to come and share the gospel. No, sir. No. <laughs> Paul was called to kings. We will flog you, you enter trouble, we will appeal to Caesar, you will stand before Agrippa, you will go to Felix, you will go to Herod. She is kings, you will stand before kings. <laughs> so everything in Paul's ministry was just setting him up to stand before a king. It doesn't matter whether we flogged you to the presence of the king. Yes, sir. That's why Paul never complained. He said, I glory in my affliction. Yes. 2 Corinthians 12. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. So each time he stood in front of the king, he was fulfilling his ministry. Yes. And unfortunately, he was never invited to a king once. He was always dragged before one. <laughs> and the dragging was God fulfilling his plan for him. Because the mandate from Ananias was that you will stand before kings. They will hear the gospel from your mouth. And king after king until Agrippa, hmm. It's like, keep, keep quiet, keep quiet. That's how you will talk after this now. I will, I will repent. I will believe. It's before kings. So Paul comes in. By the time Paul comes into ministry in Acts chapter 9, Peter, on his own part, in Acts 10, has showed up to a Gentile yes. called Linnaeus. Yes, right? Yes, Preached the gospel to him because at the time of Acts 10, Peter still, in spite of everything, did not still believe and agree that the Gentiles can receive the Holy Spirit. Who is the promise that he himself said in Acts 2. Are you people following me? Yes, sir. Are you sure? Yes, sir. You are very sure? Yes, sir. Go back to Acts chapter 2. 
Somebody say one gospel. Acts 2.32. Acts 2.32. Peter speaking, right? This Jesus God has raised up. Right? Having been exalted, of which are witnesses. Having been exalted to the right hand of God. Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He poured out this which you now see and hear. He says in verse 16, But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last day, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all Jewish flesh. This is Peter. Acts 2. Not very learned, but very zealous. (laughs) Like Apollos, full of the Holy Ghost. Come to the same Peter by Acts 10. Verse 9, arise, kill, and eat, right? And Peter said in verse 14, not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything uncommon or unclean. But God said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. It was when this happened, that verse 19, when men came from Colonials, verse 19, Peter thought about the vision. Right? Have you seen it? Acts 10, 19. While Paul, Peter, thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So when this guy came from Colonials to Peter, Peter understood that God was allowing him to speak to the Gentiles about Christ. Does that make sense? So he goes to Colonials' house. I've I've shared this before in other teachings. While he was yet speaking, the Holy Ghost came upon them. Right? And then Peter says in 46, after having come to 43, says to him, all the prophets witness that through him, through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. Peter now is coming into preaching the effect of the ministry of Jesus' death. Not emph- again, not emphasizing or trying to convince Colinius that Jesus is the Messiah. He has no business with Colinius. Does that make sense? So you see the evolution of the gospel. So he now sees, preaches to him, tells him how God anointed the Holy Ghost, Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power. It was Colinius, he was telling, who went about doing good. God raised him openly, and, and all the prophets witnessed that whoever believes in him will receive remission or forgiveness of sins. So Peter starts to introduce believing as a requisite for receiving forgiveness or remission of sin, which is the message of Jesus, which is the message of the grace of God, which is the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God, which is the message of the gospel of peace, which is the message of the gospel of truth. Peter starts to speak that to Colinius, who believes because as soon as the Holy Spirit tasted believing, he jumped into Colinius. He didn't wait for Colinius to repent. He didn't need Colinius' repentance. Are you following me now? Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who believed. So what was the word's business? To stare believing, to impart believing, to communicate believing, to impute believing. The moment the Holy Spirit saw the seed of believing had entered those who were hearing, he jumped straight into them. Showing that what? This was a gift for believing. 
I've said righteousness and the gift of eternal life are not a reward for right living. They are a gift for right believing. Are you following me now? It's not a reward for right living. It's a gift for right believing. You don't live your way into it. You believe your way into it. Don't forget the B and E before it. You believe your way into it. So Peter starts to introduce that what Jesus came to do was that if you believe on him, you receive forgiveness of sins. Which is the thrust of the message. Which he had not even gotten to with the Jews. Because the Jews were still grappling with receiving Jesus in the first place. Are you following me now? And Philip is already dispensing the name of Christ and the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Then Peter comes in verse 10, chapter 10, to Colinius and starts to introduce the concept of the forgiveness of sins by believing in the name of Jesus. Now he gets that right, but he saw the Holy Spirit upon them and he still put them in water. Which doesn't make any sense. Because somebody had received the Holy Spirit. They don't need water. But you see, this is the first time that Peter is talking about the gospel to a non-Jew. So he still applies a Jewish approach. What was the approach to Jews? Preach repentance. So you can change your mind and receive Jesus who can give you forgiveness of sins. We're not even preaching forgiveness of sins to the Jews. We're preaching the person through whom it comes. If you don't receive him, you can't even receive what he's giving. Does that make sense? So water baptism was symbolic of preparing them to receive he who will forgive their sins and baptize them with the Holy Ghost, which is to say fire. Does that make sense? Jesus came, died, resurrected, ascended. The Jews still did not believe he came. Oh, they knew he was there, but they didn't believe that he was the one that was to come. So there's still a repentance issue with the Jews. While there is a sin issue, or was a sin issue, with humanity. Make sense? In dealing with the sin issue where repentance issue does not arise, we deal with sin. And let you know that the, the price for the sin has been paid. Your sins have been forgiven. And once that is done, you are baptized with the one baptism. Yes. Not two. Yes, are you following me now? Yes, At the time Peter was preaching in Acts 10, he had no mentor. He had no instructor in righteousness. So a lot of things will be dropped and picked along the way as they walk to the Holy Spirit. One of the things that will eventually be dropped was water baptism after receiving the Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. Does that make sense? Yes. So you see yet another Jewish approach to a non-Jewish gospel or non-Jewish expression of the gospel. Are you following me now? Yes, and, and then book of Acts takes off in 13 where these guys turn to the Gentiles then the fullness of the grace of God begins to be preached. Even at that, Peter is struggling one, once or twice until he starts interfacing with Paul. Yes, sir. Who being a Jew himself, in fact, he introduces himself in Philippians as a Jew of Jews. Yes. Yes. He's the Jew's Jew. 
Because he was a dual citizen. That's why they almost fainted when they flogged him and realized they had flogged the Roman citizen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And he says, okay, I appeal to Caesar because only Romans could appeal to Caesar. Yes, sir. He knew when to play his Roman citizenship and when to play his Jewish background because he was a dual citizen. Yes, sir. So as he turns and begins to deal with the Gentiles from his vantage point as a Jew of Jews, a doctor of the law, turning to the Gentiles, who didn't have the wall of rejecting Jesus as Messiah. Now, struggling to see my sins forgiven is different from me struggling to see that this guy that's from my village is the one that's going to forgive my sins. (laughs) Does that make sense? I I can be here and not care about where you're from and still not care about what you're giving me. So you now focus on what it is I'm, give, I'm, I'm receiving or I'm meant to receive and not have to worry about my personality. But where you say, for instance, when you, you take a lady home to your dad or, your, or a guy or talk about them, especially in Nigeria, the first thing I ask you is, where is he from? Once they're not from the same place, oh my God. There's already a wall that this person must surmount. Especially if it's a crisscross from north to south you know, or Igbo to Yoruba, that kind of crazy one. You're, you're already, no matter how nice you are, because you are from that place, there's a problem. So you arrive the relationship with your in-laws guilty until proven innocent, as opposed to innocent until proven guilty. Does that make sense? Because now it's not about whether you went to school or whether about you are nice. Where's your family? I want to know about your family history. And then they find you had one uncle that was a drunkard. Say, I said it. I said, it's in the blood. It's in the blood. So there's already that bias that precedes the bias of are you educated enough? Are you a good, do you have a good head on your shoulders? You know, are you a believer? You know, are you enterprising? Are you, you know, do you have, are you ambition driven? Let's deal with the fact that we are even worried with the fact that you are from this place. Does that make sense? That was the Jews' challenge. They knew where Jesus was from. They didn't expect that Jesus would be the Messiah they were expecting. Before he even tell us about what he's coming to do for us. The Gentiles didn't have that challenge. So they could receive directly the message of the grace of God. The message of Christ the person the message of his nature, the message of the kingdom, the message of the grace of God, the message of peace, the message of the forgiveness of sins are all the gospel. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Does that make sense? Yes, different audiences, different responses, and a couple of mistakes. The scriptures are not written as a perfect narrative for which you must do everything you saw. And the church of Jesus needs to understand this. Some things were written so that you will see what to not do. Romans 15.4. That they are written unto us as an example. So there are types and there are anti-types. Does that make sense? Otherwise you too can baptize in water by taking an ark and going on the sea. Since Noah on the sea with his family was called an anti-type of baptism. Yes. Yes. So you two take a boat. Mm-hmm. 
No? Face Guinea. Pray for a wind to carry you for 40 days. So you can be baptized because that them in the boat, in the ark, was referred to as an anti-type of baptism. Doesn't mean you should do it. Somebody baptized somebody after receiving the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean you should do it. But from the teaching of God's word rightly divided, you know that, no, that was not right. That wasn't right. It's one message, not one message leading to another. One message in multiple expressions depending on the audience and the need. Depending on the audience and the need. Does that make sense? So our message now for the coming of the kingdom is that the, 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 the listener believes for the receiving of the forgiveness of sins, which ushers them into a restoration of the kingdom of God in the earth. One message. The spirit now is poured out in the world, convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's what Jesus says in John. So when you preach, have, when you preach the gospel, have a holistic understanding of the gospel. That way when you are talking to someone and you hear the person's response, you know exactly what angle to come at them from. Does that make sense? There's somebody out there who has a pure open heart and has just not heard the gospel. They are open to truth. Somebody just hasn't taught them. You don't start threatening the person, telling them to change your mind, you know. You, you, you leverage the fact that there is fertile ground and you lay the message of the grace of God and the kingdom of Jesus. And you meet somebody out there who thinks he knows and knows nothing. You can't deal with the person by the same approach. Then you meet somebody who doesn't know, but the person is convinced that they know. And it starts to argue with you. Quoting scriptures out of context. Or quoting personal experiences. Or worse still, quoting their pastor. Or their prophet. And you know exactly how to deal with them. Then you meet someone who doesn't believe and has no, no regrets for not believing. Someone who tells you Jesus is not real. If God is real, why are there problems in the world? So one of the questions you meet a lot when you go out to preach the gospel. What answer do you have? From the same strength of the gospel, you can pull. And show that number one, problems in the world are not God's business. It's your business. The earth is given to the sons of men. And then if it was a believer you met who was religious, you can explain to that believer that the other side of problems in the world is that the earth is groaning and waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. You can't tell that to an unbeliever. It makes no sense to him. But you can explain to the believer that earth was given to man. Man lost it. Hence the problem. And the answer to this is not God. The answer to this is man lining up with God's original intention for man. So from whatever angle you meet someone, you are able to profess an answer. Because you have a complete holistic understanding of the gospel of the grace also known as the gospel of peace, also known as the gospel of your salvation, also known as the gospel of the kingdom, also known as the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Same gospel. You still find yourself today in positions where you are emphasizing on who Jesus was. 
you still find yourself in a position where you go out and nobody wants to hear anything you have to say until you answer to them, is Jesus God? And when you get there, Hebrews is waiting for you. John's gospel is waiting for you. And you draw from there and make your case. And then when you make your case, they are primed to receive what that Jesus can give. So no two cases are alike. No two gospel drives are the same. No two outreaches are the same. You have to have a rounded view of the gospel. And for some of you, it's when you go out next to preach the gospel to the unsaved. That's when you'll appreciate what you've been taught. they 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 will wipe the floor with you. But because we understand the place of the name of Jesus as concerning the things pertaining to the kingdom, we have an advantage. And then we have the grace of God and we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You are a dangerous person. Yes, I am. No one can mess with you. So by the time Paul comes into the fullness of the gospel and starts to teach to the Gentiles, he's presenting a rounded message of the effect of what Jesus did. Forgiveness of sins. Justification. Sanctification. Redemption. Propitiation. Right standing. Adoption. Sonship. Redemption. These are elements of the gospel call manifest in the grace of God that Paul hammers on. In the knowing, being a Jew, having studied and seen the writings of Jesus at some point, knowing that the end of that is the kingdom. That's why he, Paul, not Jesus, will say the kingdom of God is not meat and bread. So Paul knew and understood that the message of grace is the message of championing the kingdom. That's why in 1 Corinthians, the same Paul will say, for we know that in chapter 15, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the church. Kingdom. So what was inheriting the kingdom? In the context, no, in the context of 1 Corinthians 15, we dealt with it in church consciousness. Inheriting the kingdom is what? Flesh and blood cannot inherit in the kingdom. So the kingdom contextually in 1 Corinthians 15 is what? Thank you. Inheriting the kingdom of God in 1 Corinthians 15 refers to what? Stepping into immortality or eternal life or a glorified body, which is the end of the gospel. The end of the gospel is the coming of the kingdom and flesh and blood cannot enter that kingdom, which is to say immortality, which is to say eternal life, which is to say Christ who is the image of God, who is the kingdom of God. Do you understand the interplay? When Paul says you cannot enter the kingdom of God in 1 Corinthians 15, he's saying you cannot enter immortality with your natural body. Right? So your glorified body in the context of 1 Corinthians 15 is referring to what? Immortality. Which is why we have been given the hope of eternal life. You have been given the hope that you will live forever. It's not in this body that you will live forever. Because this body cannot handle living forever. 
Make sense? So to live forever, which is to say to come into immortality, which is to say to enter the eternal grace of God, which is to say to enter the kingdom of God, you must lose flesh and blood, which is why your sins were forgiven so that you will receive back the restoration of what you lost when man fell. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. Full circle. Does that make sense? So this message is not about heaven. This message is not about hell. Because from the beginning, there was nothing like hell. Or death. Death came about when sin came about, when the fall came about. Does that make sense? In the beginning, there was no fear of hell. There was no fear of death. Because if man had not eaten, they would not have died. Does that make sense? That's not the message. If you've ever been in a court wedding, how many of you have attended a registry wedding before? Registry wedding. But some of you are married, there's already very few. Well, at least you've attended a registry wedding. Yeah. There's the part in the wedding ceremony where the couple doesn't pay attention. Every couple that has had a registry marriage doesn't pay attention to the point where they say, just so you know, if you're married to somebody else and you do not declare it, you are liable to 14 years imprisonment with hard labor, if you are bigamy and you have not been separated for up to four years, you are liable to seven years in prison with hard labor. The couple usually doesn't hear it. Because we choose to not hear it. It's not what we came here for. I came to marry a wife for God's sake. I know I want to marry a wife. I'm not about to be here to tell me in 14 years, if I have another wife, you know, I will be in prison for 14 years. Why don't you put that in a document that I can read and sign before you bring me to court? Because you can put that in an affidavit if you like that I come and sign before the date to say that I read this thing so that you don't have to read that nonsense in my wedding. But if you ever attend the registry marriage and the registrars are very stern, tell you if you have another wife, another husband somewhere, you are liable to go to prison with hard labor for 14 years. Why are you reading that in a, on a joyful occasion? So most times if the couple is just chatting away or pretending they didn't hear it, why? Because it doesn't apply to them. It's not the message today. So damnation, hell, and forever burning cannot be the highlight of the message. We're not interested, sir. We're busy. Who got the analogy? We're too busy enjoying the riches of the glory of the inheritance we have in the saints in Christ Jesus. Because you cannot work with God. Listen... Okay, see, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that you will not be lost. It doesn't make any sense. Because believing on the Lord Jesus is already not being lost. Do you understand what I'm saying? Eat so that you will not be hungry. No, once I've eaten, I won't be hungry. Believe the Lord or go to hell. No, 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 no. In the believing of the Lord is being saved from damnation. So damnation can never be the message. Consequence of not believing cannot be the message. The joys of believing are the message. Is anybody hear what I'm saying? The joy, the benefit of believing. That's the message. The joy of salvation. Not the peril of disbelieving. Sell it well enough, nobody will reject it. 
Sell what the loving Jesus did. Not your funny God that is standing by to kill us if we don't do what he says. I don't want to deal with a God around whom I'm tiptoeing. Do you understand? A God around the I'm walking on eggshells all the time. He loves you. You can be enjoying your worship now. God is having a funny himself. Like, yeah, that's my child. That's my child. And then the next minute you do something, kill him. Kill him. I don't know about you, but I don't need to even try to worship that God at all. A God that has erratic behavior. Bipolar disorder. One second, he's pleased. Next minute, he has flipped. You can't guarantee where this God is, so you just always be walking holy. Always be righteous. The gospel is about what God in Christ did. All by himself to restore you to what you lost all by yourself. What God in Christ did to restore you, what God in Christ did all by himself to restore you to all that you lost all by yourself. He didn't leave you to your loss. He restored you to what was yours because he gave it to you. And nothing means more to him than to see you occupy back the place that you lost. That's how much of a loving father he is. That's why the so-called prodigal son had his position waiting for him like it was never taken away from him. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. And so as you go out and dispense the light, you are already showing the kingdom, the gospel into you is the kingdom out of you. Remember that? The gospel into you is the kingdom out of you. So you dispense the kingdom, but you teach and preach the gospel. So others can come into it as well. You live your life by the gospel. You live your life according to the kingdom. Because that's what the light of the glorious gospel brings you into. One message. At some point, you may highlight different parts of it. At some point, you highlight... the deity of Jesus, or the ministry of Jesus, or the sacrifice of Jesus, or even at sometimes the priesthood of Jesus. Does that make sense? Sometimes the fatherhood of Jesus. And you're, and you're driving at the same thing. You're driving the same thing. The love of the Father. The forgiveness of the Father. The loving kindness and the, tol- the, the patience, long-suffering of the Father. Same message. The creator God. The blueprint of the father for the kingdom. All of those. At different times. Thank you. At different times. For the same result. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. Have you learned anything? Give God praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Father, we thank you so much for how much you have done for us. We thank you so much. Thank you about how deliberate you are in your workings. It's amazing how much you did for us in Christ. It's amazing how patient you are with us until we come into the fullness of what you're have prepared in store for us. We live out the kingdom. We dispense the kingdom. We also come into a rest and an ease that accompanies kingdom citizens of this kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we declare that 
unnecessary artificial hardship is far from us. We eat the fat things of the earth. Supply is available to us. Respite is available to us. Peace and ease are available to us. Restoration and recovery are available to us. New things and fat things are available to us. We enjoy goodwill and favor on earth with men as we do with God. We thank you that our sick bodies are healed. Every sickness and disease, every ache and pain, we curse you in the name of Jesus. We release the virtue that comes from the name and the power and the work of Jesus Christ, our elder brother, and we declare that according to your stripes, we are healed. And so we take and enforce that healing even now in the name of Jesus. That whatever work we have to do, whatever things we have to sow, whatever things we have to stitch, whatever things we have to craft, whatever things we have to write, whatever things we have to execute will not suffer this week on account of human frailty. In the name of Jesus, we receive sharpness of mind. We receive, Lord, this week precision of spirit. We receive accuracy of delivery. We receive excellent execution. We receive help even from the strangest of places. In the name of Jesus. We declare according to your word as Paul says that evil men are far from us. We are hid from evil and unreasonable men. That everything that happens unto us this week happens for our benefit. For our profiting. Even as our profiting abounds to all men. Thank you that the light of this glorious gospel finds expression in us in every avenue, with every opportunity and every privilege that we are prepared to dispense the light of your gospel. Thank you, Father God, that evil is not our portion because we ride upon the wings of the earth. We are sons of God. We take our place as citizens of heaven and bring heaven to bear on the earth in our various spheres of influence. We thank you, Lord, for light in dark places. Thank you for water flowing in dry places. Thank you for supply and abundance even when we don't know how it's coming. Thank you that our needs are met in the name of Jesus. Thank you that our issues are resolved in the name of Jesus. And we give you praise and glory. We give you thanks. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name. Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at whilethechurch. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.